0: Homily for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks, September 13, 2020. At the parish during this weekend's Masses, a special second collection will be taken up. It is the Good Friday Collection, supporting the shrines and Christian sites in the Holy Land. This collection, as the name denotes, is usually taken up at Good Friday, but we were in a lockdown because of the pandemic at that time, and so it has been rescheduled for this weekend. Those listening to this podcast are welcome to make a contribution by sending it to us at St. Mary's, 216 Belmont Road, Grand Forks, North Dakota, 58201, and we will be happy to send it on for you. I was not familiar with the phrase, cancel culture, until just recently, I guess it started a while back with certain speakers and performers being banned from college campuses because what they might say would trigger unsettled reactions from their audiences. Then this summer, we saw a rash of attempts throughout America to tear down memorials and statues of historical figures. Still others are demanding to remove names of such figures from buildings or institutions. The argument was that these people had written objectionable things or held opinions now largely considered offensive. To me, the peculiar thing about all this has been just how today's self-styled voices of authority have emerged. Who holds the power, and how did they obtain it? Who is demanding changes in city parks and public squares, and by what criteria? In many cases, it seems to me that a self-appointed tribunal, refusing to take no for an answer, is passing judgment on those they deem flawed, without having to examine or atone for anything in their own lives. What we have here, simply put, is a form of tyranny. All condemnation and no redemption. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Even young people have said those words many times. Because of how frequently we pray these words in the Lord's Prayer, their impact may escape us. But in that statement, we commit to a way of life that far surpasses our fallen human nature. Now be honest, wouldn't it be much simpler to ask God, forgive us our trespasses, and end the sentence right there? Well, Jesus would not have it that way. Every religion would concur that forgiveness is a noble human trait, but the Lord made forgiveness a mandatory act for his followers. He taught that we very well cannot expect God to forgive us unless we are willing to forgive our neighbor. Why is Jesus so insistent on forgiveness? Maybe it's because forgiveness points to the transcendence of God. Politeness, or niceness, is a characteristic that a diverse array of people shares. To forgive others, as God forgives us, on the other hand, requires grace, supernatural help. On the cross, Jesus did not say, Father, destroy them, for those jerks have it coming. But, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We know well how we fall short in this area. We have the ability to deeply wound others by our words and deeds. When we are thus wounded, what is our instinctive reaction? I will inflict an even worse wound on them and make it so they'll never dare to hurt me again. They tampered with my pride and now they have to pay. They unleashed vengeance on me, so vengeance must be the only thing they understand. Maybe my inaction would only egg them on. Many of you have seen the following phrase before, I don't get mad, I get even. If only more people in the world at least stopped at getting even and didn't go overboard. Revenge being such a visceral appetite, the forgiveness Jesus asks of us seems beyond reach. We may not think we have the kind of fire extinguisher that we need to put out the flames of retaliation. And that's precisely the point. The forgiving heart refuses to draw from the poison well of paybacks and pettiness. Instead, God's grace is their strength. Forgiveness appears to some to be weakness, but it is quite the opposite. The forgiving heart is redeemed and transformed. The exercise of divine forgiveness stands in stark contrast to the tired old way of life. Let's turn to the means by which our Lord illustrated this point, namely the parable in today's gospel. It starts with a question from Peter. How often must I forgive those who sin against me? As many as seven times? Now, the number seven symbolized perfection. Think, for example, of seven days in one week. So Peter considered his proposal as going way out on a limb. The answer Jesus gives, 77 times, is no more literal than Peter's number of seven. Basically, Jesus meant, forgive as often as needed, and don't keep count. Let's flip it around for a moment. How awful would it be if God were stingy in forgiving us? What a monstrous picture to paint of the Almighty. Imagine God told the priest who will hear my confession the next time I go, tell Father Gross that this is the very last bit of forgiveness that he will receive from me. One more mortal sin before he dies, and he's toast. We ought to thank God on our knees every day for the gift of the sacrament of confession, as the way that he makes his mercy tangible and we ought to receive it often. Otherwise, how will God's forgiveness ever apply to us? In this parable, the English translation deals in generalities to impart the moral of the story, but terms like a huge amount and a much smaller amount leave us wanting. When we look at the original text, however, we get closer to the specifics. This may be a little confusing, but stick with me here. Think of a talent as a sizable monetary unit. In another parable, later on in Matthew's Gospel, Christ tells us about a man who is given a single talent, and rather than to invest and risk losing it, buried it in the ground. Presumably the fellow was poor, and so receiving one talent meant he had a newfound fortune. In the Greek, the first man in today's gospel owed 10,000 talents. In a commentary I read, a group of scholars estimate that one talent could equal about $2,000 in today's money. Multiply that figure by 10,000, and the first man owed a debt of 20 million bucks. Wiping that number off the books would make anyone ecstatic, don't you think? The question remains, how much did the second man owe the first man? Again, the original Greek says, 100 denarii. A denarius was a coin, and these same scholars say that 100 of them would add up to around $20 in today's currency. Now how stupid would it appear if I were forgiven a multi-million dollar debt, and that same day got bent out of shape by a $20 debt owed to me? The root of the problem here is greed, but even more so, hypocrisy. Those who knew the first man's plight couldn't believe their eyes. Did his creditor's largesse mean nothing to him? Hypocrisy is an even greater scandal in terms of religion. The Pharisees did not trade in forgiveness, because that did not help them dominate others, or loom large as experts in their midst. When anyone who claims devotion to God and personal piety deliberately refuses to forgive or seek forgiveness for oneself, that is hypocrisy writ large. Pope Francis granted an interview a couple of years ago that was turned into a book entitled, The Name of God is Mercy. What he means by that is that forgiveness must be a defining characteristic of an authentic Christian life. For many, it is hard to forgive because they have let their hearts become hardened. But what sense does it make to stay wounded and in pain only because it's what is most familiar? If we truly believe that God will help us to imitate him, why can't we invite him to bandage those wounds? God intends for us to share in his goodness, even if it seems too great and heroic. This is where we've got to get out of the boat, walk on the water, and let Jesus take us where we need to go. Amen.